The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at itztiger.music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the Block Hash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out Blockhash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new, where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting, all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash Blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. Hello guys, it is Wednesday, April 28th, episode 127. And today I have Tim Swanson on the podcast. He is the creator of Tau Protocol and the head of market intelligence at Clearmatics. We talk a little bit about both Tau Protocol is essentially uh, the ability to tokenize the Bitcoin mining hash rate, um, stake it, and then in return get multiple synthetically backed assets. I'll let him explain that one to you guys. On the Clearmatic side, it's more about market analytics and analysis. So I think there's a good balance between those two and you will enjoy the info in this episode. So be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about Tim Swanson, Tau Protocol, Clearmatics, etc., etc. Enjoy. Tim, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, much better, thank you. Just got over uh, an illness that uh, unfortunately has been afflicting the world, so uh, mm-hmm. managed to survive. And uh, very thankful to uh, be here in, in one piece. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. Was it uh, something you got like within the family, or were you out doing stuff? Or yeah, we spent a whole year avoiding COVID, and then uh, we have a uh, babysitter who helps us out on the weekend, and she was asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, three weeks ago, uh, she. She didn't even know she had it until um, roughly the same day I actually went in to go get tested because I had uh, this high fever. And uh, she, she sent us a message saying, oh, by the way, I don't have any symptoms, but it looks like I have COVID too. So this uh, really easy to spread. And you can, we spent a whole year under effectively lockdown. My, my wife and daughter have not been inside a store since March last year. So it gets you. So yeah, definitely uh, try to avoid it. It wasn't fun. I had to go to the hospital for a couple of days, uh, even had some oxygen for mm-hmm. one night. So not, uh, and, and I'm, I'm a healthy oh, wow. man. So uh, yeah, I would, I would not recommend playing around with this thing. So that was intense for you, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. No, you they, to get they, the uh, oxygen. Yeah, no, uh, overnight. Yeah. My, my oxygen went down to about 90. Um, and that's like basically that. Oh, wow. Yeah. You don't want, I mean, you could survive at 87, 86. Um, but they, they don't want you to play around with Yeah, well, I'm glad you're better. And uh, hopefully no one else in your family had to really deal with that. But yeah, COVID's a stressful situation. I, I'd hate to, to get it myself. I've been lucky thus far. Well, hopefully you'll get those vaccines in a few weeks. And uh, as, as everyone else listening to this, please, please get those vaccines. Uh, so that way we could stop the spread of this ASAP. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, hopefully that they correct some of the issues with the vaccines too because i don't want people just getting sick from those either some of them got rushed out a little too quickly but yeah hopefully it you know that circulates a lot faster so tell me a little bit about um 
tell me about yourself and your background. I want to hear like, you know, how you got into blockchain and crypto and um, how you got to where you are now with Tau Protocol. Very curious. Yeah, uh, long kind of story that I'll try to make as short as possible. Um, back when uh, I, I worked out in Asia for about six years, and towards the end of that was in China. Uh, I did a little fun mining, um, did not become rich or anything like that. Um, in fact, I switched over to, to Litecoin pretty quickly because of the halving. And um, mm-hmm. the uh, when, when I moved to California, my wife was an engineer, um, chip designer, and I I uh, was on a mailing list uh, where there was people talking about, you know, Bitcoin related things for uh, a little while. Um, and I, I reached out to a few of them who were in the Bay Area, uh, com- kind of compiled the notes of those conversations into a short little book. Um, and that kind of accidentally propelled me. This is back in 20, early 2014, propelled me into um, a variety of advisory uh, roles. Um, there was a company called Hyperledger, which was acquired by a company called Digital Asset. Um and they ended up donating that name to the Linux Foundation. So there's something called Hyperledger today. Uh, it's only related due to the, uh, the name itself. I was also an advisor to a company called R3, which put together the first consortia of financial institutions in 2015, about 40 plus banks. And around mm-hmm. the same time, I was also an advisor to a company called Clearmatics, who actually I work for. It's my day job. Um, but in, in Clearmatics, uh, around the same time that R3 was putting together a consortia of financial institutions, Clearmatics put together a... Um, the first central bank digital currency consortia, uh, and they spun that out to be its own uh, separate company called Finality, which still exists today. Um, so I've been uh, very fortunate to be in the in the weeds um, of of the institutional wholesale enterprise world of, of blockchain stuff, whatever we want to call it. Um, unfortunately, there's enormous amounts of hype, um, a lot of uh, unfair criticism of of the the work that a lot of these guys. Uh, in that little world uh, went into, but <clears throat> we're not here to talk about sour grapes. We're here to talk about funny magic internet money. That mm-hmm. I've also been, um, you know, been very, very close uh, to not only just because of my friends and my, my own network, but just because of personal interests. So I've, uh, yeah, I've had the fortune of, uh, for about seven years now um, of, of doing this professionally and uh, uh, a couple of years before that as a, as a hobbyist. Yeah, that's a that's a lot you've already done in the space in a short span. That's pretty cool. Was there like a single thing or moments that like really want, made, got you to go into this field? Um, was it you know you know some for some people it's like buying their first Bitcoin. Some it's you know seeing the market spike for the first time. Was there like a, an event or an, a day or an incident? Um, I don't know how many guests you've had altogether, but I'm probably in the minority of, of being very annoyed with price action in general. Um, I was not at all interested in, in, in coins going up and down. In fact, I probably could have enriched myself quite a bit through not only early Bitcoin related prices or Ether or in basically any of these coins. Um, but I was I was really interested in, uh, in 2014 and looking at the analytics of, of what was actually taking place. Um, there was a guy, um, Jonathan Ledin, who's the uh, co-founder of what was then Coinometrics, um, and then he went off to uh, co-found uh, Chainalysis. He probably wouldn't agree with me on, on some things today, but um, he was the one who pointed me in, in March 2014 uh, in the direction of what I ended up doing that summer, which was he, he basically said, Tim, you've been lied to by these companies who said that they've had enormous amounts of, uh, of merchant activity. Um, you might want to take a closer look and not take them at their word. 
And I did and actually ended up pissing off or <laughs> annoying uh, a lot of the Bitcoiners because I was like, guys, look, you have all these claims, but there's no data really backing up this claim. So unfortunately, that that got me labeled a, a kind of a, a number of nasty words that I, I prefer not to mention on the on the podcast. But um, I still I still stand by most of mm-hmm. well, actually all those comments. I think that seven years later, um, we haven't seen this gigantic uh, circular flow of income, but we're not here to discuss that. We're here to talk about some other interesting ideas that have, mm-hmm. have actually matured. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's do that. Let's talk about Tau protocol a little bit. Cause I'm, I don't know how, I don't know a lot about it, but I definitely have, you know, kind of looked at, um, you know, the website and what's kind of out there to get a little bit of an idea, but um, yeah, give me like a, a definition of what it is and like help, help explain it a little bit. So yeah, just to be clear, uh, the idea that the Tau protocol is a, it's a part-time hobbying ideas uh, that I'm trying to <clears throat> find those to, to mm. like-minded groups to implement. Um, uh, so my day job, again, I, I do market research for a company called Clearmatics, <clears throat> which has mm. been building blockchain-related stuff for financial institutions. Um, so uh, as an aside, though, like the guy who actually uh, created the company, Clearmatics, he, he's the one who also coined the, the term seniority shares back in 2014. Um, he... Uh, he was one of a, a handful of people that were coming up with these algorithmic stable coins effectively, although that wasn't a term back then. Um, and so hearing, again, I've been in the weeds with central bank digital currency stuff. I've been uh, hearing about algorithmic stable coins since at least uh, uh, summer of 2014 when you had a group of, of, of papers uh, being published around that time uh, come out. So I've been particularly interested in those topics um, for, for a while. And I figured now, why not try to stabilize an actual synthetic asset itself instead of uh, a uh, synthetic U.S. dollar? I'm not saying that you shouldn't pursue the synthetic U.S. dollar, but it feels like a crowded market right now. So um, at the beginning of the year, I wrote a, um, a paper on what was called parasitic stablecoins, which was um, looking at uh, these faux collateral-backed tokens um, like Tether, um, that were not uh, at all living up to the claims that their creators had made. Um, again, not doing a whole show on on, on those guys, but um, mm-hmm. the uh, I had a, I had a very small section in which I kind of just kind of kicked the can down the road on the algorithmic stablecoins because at the time um, there was number one, it would be very distracting in the paper to just go down that route. But um, number two, there really hadn't been uh, a successful set of uh, non-custodial uh, algorithmic stable coins. And so um, when I when I, I published that at the like, very beginning of the year, and um, it kind of um, kick-started some other ideas in my head of like, okay, since you have this whole group of, I know it was about two dozen uh, of these, if you go to CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap, you could look this up. There's a whole category of Senior tokens or rebase tokens. And none of them have been really successful apart from like Frax or um, another one's called Mark or Benchmark Protocol. Um, they've really just done a poor job at maintaining um, that that parity, that peg that they're supposed to in, in an algorithmically non-custodial manner. And what I mean by that for those listeners is non-custodial means there's no single part, entity or centralized entity that holds the the tokens. It's, it's handled on chain through some kind of smart contract. To me, that's really interesting because... Uh, it, it means that we've we've evolved beyond needing um, an intermediary to, to handle that process. In fact, I'm actually really surprised more of these hardcore Bitcoiners aren't aren't interested in that uh, because 
Uh, the technology exists that's mature enough to allow you to do that. Um, obviously, they're, you know, they're religious, so they're, they're very partisan about what platform that takes place on. But uh, from, a, um, uh, from an ethos standpoint, you would think the uh, non-custodial uh, maintaining of purchasing power would be a, uh, a sought-after uh, goal. Anyways, we're not, not doing a whole episode on, on the religious wars of, of Bitcoiners, but um, to me, uh, in, in, in early tw- uh, January, I was <clears throat> toying with the idea in my mind. I was like, hey, we, how can you stabilize other synthetic assets that um, aren't going to land you in legal regulatory world you know, issues? So again, I'm not saying that anyone making a synthetic dollar is going to end up in jail. But we have seen a lot of discussions uh, in public now uh, from U.S. Treasury Department, um, FATF, of these various uh, regulatory bodies saying, "Hey, you know, stable coins are are an interesting group of of, of assets that we may want to have a closer inspection on." So I, I just think that in, if this labeling something a U.S. dollar um, <laughs> creates an issue from a BSA compliance standpoint. So p- putting that aside for the moment, I was looking at it uh, creating a capital efficient, stabilized synthetic. So what that means is how uh, you could do a one for one um, collateralization. Uh, in fact, you have that uh, Frax itself starts out at 100%. And I, I think it goes down to 70 to 60%. I, I forgot the actual amount today. But um, the idea with capital efficiency is you under collateralize an asset, uh, freeing up capital to go do other things mm-hmm. with with the view that the market basically creates something called a shelling point. It, it, it perceives one frax to be equivalent to one USD. I'm not saying that's the exact words that they would that team would use, but my point is, is um, that's the goal of some of these algorithms, these under collateralized algorithmic stable stabilization tokens. So rather than try to stabilize a US dollar, I'm looking to stabilize um, a set of other assets. In this case, I started out with uh, Bitcoin simply from the name recognition. Everyone knows what a Bitcoin is, um, at least anyone that's been spending spending any amount of time with mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies. Um, and so to to collateralize, or in this case, under collateralize a, a synthetic Bitcoin, well, h- how can you do that? Um, and do that on a chain in which you're not spending oodles of money on transaction fees. So um, I, uh, I started Googling around, seeing who's basically done the, the heavy lifting of the, the, the back end, as it were. And it turns out that there's a couple groups, um, one in particular called BTCST that has launched something called a tokenized uh, hash rate token. Um, and they did that, I guess it was in December, they, they published a paper and then they launched the actual product on um, BSC, uh, Binance Smart Chain, um, this early, early January. It was actually just total coincidental timing that they were doing that right, right when I was thinking of these things. Um, and so what, what, what all this kind of, mm-hmm. let me, let me, let me kind of unwind a few of the things I just said there. So mm-hmm. if you go to Ethereum itself, there's something called WBTC, which is wrapped Bitcoin. Wrap uh, Bitcoin, the way that works is um, somebody, uh, a Bitcoin holder, sends their Bitcoins to BitGo. It's a company in California. BitGo, uh, BitGo effectively um, immobilizes that coin so that way it's not moving anywhere it sits sits on i guess in their database infrastructure and it's like somehow they have some multi-sig infrastructure that, that handles um who can and can't access it and who who can move it in and out <clears throat> so that's on that's on the bitcoin side that's immobilized um on the ethereum side they have a series of market makers to try and keep that one bitcoin or this in this case wrap bitcoin um, roughly at the same parity as, as a Bitcoin would be on 
uh, on an exchange like Binance or Coinbase. Um, and that fluctuates throughout the day. So if you go to CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap, you can see um, WBTC is often at a, at a I don't know, 0.5%. There's a, there, there, there's a variance. Uh, it's not a perfect one-for-one. Um, and you also see this with a series of other uh, wrapped Bitcoins uh, or in the, in the I don't want to call there's a whole debate about custodial versus non-custodial types of bitcoins, the spectrum there. So there's REN BTC, uh, there's SBTC, there's a whole series of these. Um, a lot of the big spot exchanges, um, like Binance, they have their own uh, wrapped uh, or tokenized version of Bitcoin as well. Uh, in the case of, of Binance, it's called BTCB. It's about eight or nine thousand of those. They have a whole um, uh, like audit, a daily audit report that they they publish. Um, and so there's a number of exchanges. So if you add up all of these wrapped or tokenized Bitcoins, um, there's about 1% of all coins that have ever been mined, Bitcoins that have ever been mined, um, are sitting on another chain besides Bitcoin. And what, what we mean by that is, so if there's about uh, 18.7 million mined Bitcoins, or, or if you take about 1% of that, so that's 180,000 or so uh, Bitcoins, um, those coins are immobilized and sitting in custody by somebody somewhere and are... Uh, accessible uh, on a different chain. In this case, it's typically Ethereum. In fact, I would say um, the most recent numbers I've seen is like 99% of all wrapped or tokenized Bitcoins are sitting on top of Ethereum um, it, it, in, in some some form or fashion. So um, we know, I, I, I give this as an explanation, we know how to, to wrap and tokenize uh, coins, certain coins, uh, and, and hold them in custody um, in a roughly secure safe manner. Again, not endorsing specific companies, but um, BitGo has done this uh, for a number of years. So yeah, there's other companies too. Um, I believe Tokensoft out in California, although I, maybe they moved to Austin uh, this past year. They um, they have been working on a project called wrapped.com in which they basically um, do exactly like the name suggests. They've worked, I think there's like 10 coins that they've wrapped on several different chains and vice versa. So um, yeah, in fact, I'm at their website right now. There's <laughs> they claim to have about $5 billion of wrapped tokens right now. Um, of some different variety. You have, uh, you have Kadena, you have Zcash, uh, Filecoin, uh, Litecoin. Mm -hmm. So not endorsing any of these. I'm just saying that there's other companies out there trying to do one-for-one -one collateralization. Um, so again, I was looking for a way of doing something under collateralized because that means um, you don't have to sit there and, and, and badger people to, 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 to move, move coins from one place to another. Um, and ideally, <laughs> mm -hmm. you could do something purely synthetic to where it's 0%. Um, that's the hardest part. I'm not saying it's the holy grail. I think that's the wrong marketing term. Again, I'm not here to shill a specific coin to mm -hmm. anyone. I'm just trying to say, hey, for illustrative purposes, if you have a spectrum, on one end is one-to-one -one collateralized. <clears throat> on the other end is 0% collateralized. In fact, you could actually do over-collateralized. Mm -hmm. Most of the, the synthetics out there are, are highly over-collateralized. You have um, synthetics itself. That project, um, <coughs> Synthetics with the X.io, um, yeah. they require it's like 500% um, for for minting. Uh, actually, it, it could be up to 800%. I have to, I have to look at the most recent numbers. They have a whole mm -hmm. governance process. Um, MakerDAO. That's pretty high. It is. So if you look at traditional finance, because um, people like comparing traditional finance to the rest of the world, um, everything is, is generally under collateralized um, by a large part, um, large percentage. And so when, when Maker, when they were first um, getting off the ground a few years ago, um, one of the arguments uh, that people made against it saying, oh, you won't go anywhere is like, 
you're having to over collateralize everything in ETH. Um, why would why would anyone fundamentally use Dai um, to to trade if every if, if the underlying has to be over under over collateralized? And it turns out the um, some parts of the market just don't care. So if you look at the TVL of like the DeFi world, um, Dai still is a very large component of it. It's like twenty twenty five percent if you go to DeFi Pulse um, in a given day. But uh, the way the way Dai is actually evolved itself about 18 months ago they put up a um like this aspirational goal of of creating a funnel effectively instead of having ether backing die um they said hey we're gonna create a multi-collateral system so you could actually deposit um whitelisted tokens um, that aren't eth um to create and mint die and now it's expanded to include several other um collateral-backed uh, stablecoins, such as uh, Tether and USDC. And it also includes WBTC itself. So you have this interesting, like, circular world <laughs> in the sense that you have you have uh, Bitcoins that now live on Ether, uh, Ethereum that are that have been you know, wrapped mm-hmm. effectively through BitGo uh, that now collateralize uh, a stablecoin called DAI. So not endorsing anything, I'm just trying to say, hey, this, this, this funny little world the last couple of years is... Um, sprouted quite a few experiments um and in the case of, of tdl if you just if that's how we measure um growth you know you have tens of billions of dollars now um on these different chains um and in, in many cases bitcoin mm-hmm. is considered the one of the premium collaterals because of branding and, and popularity so i know it's a lot to say and you feel free to cut out <laughs> feel free to cut yeah. out whatever you like but uh, that was uh, that no was no my it's all good it's all good stuff i'm i'm just absorbing yeah, it's all good stuff. I'm just absorbing it, trying to think of the the right question to ask because there's so many different you know rabbit holes we could go down. But looking at uh, because I get questions on this so much with um, crypto collateralized loans. I mean, cause most of them it's like you gotta have you get like fifty percent of whatever it is you collateralize usually, and then there are some that are way over leveraged, and then they're you know are that that's just kind of barely where the space is at. So I mean. You know your opinion and um, where what you guys are doing with Tao. What's the best approach in your mind uh, to go with crypto collateralized loans, or I guess what's the better alternative or just another alternative? Yeah, I, I think it's too early to say uh, what is better per se. I think it's maybe easier to say what's worse. <laughs> yeah, and what's worse is obviously uh, custodial models in the sense that. Um, you have that risk of, of third party coming in and, and taking coins. Uh, the trade-off there is obviously maybe they could offer some kind of insurance. They could offer some kind of uh, dil- extra diligence process. They could offer some kind of uh, guarantee or warranty around uh, theft. Or there's there's the, the assurances that come with um, being a, a trusted third party that you have today. You do that with coins. That's that's kind of the simple answer with that. Um, the better ways, though, um, it's just yeah. I would say as of April 2021, it's still a bit too early to, I, at least for me, to try and sit here and endorse uh, a specific way of of mm-hmm. yeah any of these products uh, protocols. I, I think they're really interesting from a um, from a, a regulatory standpoint because you mentioned um, kind of ratcheting up through leverage. So if if you've never if, if the listeners have never actually tried like Compound or Ave. Um, or on BSC, something like Venus. Uh, again, not endorsing them. I'm just trying to say, like, if you deposit coins there, you you mm-hmm. have a uh, there's an algorithm um, that says how much 
credit they're willing to extend you effectively. And this is all transparent, like through their documents and you can see it through the code itself. Um, and what you, what people typically do to get leverage in a non-custodial way is they'll deposit, say, ETH on Compound or Aave, and then they'll withdraw a, uh, a stable coin, um, a stable token of some kind, um, and deposit that uh, or go to a AMM like Uniswap. And they'll buy whatever else, mm -hmm. what coins they're trying to go along on, like ETH again. And they'll just go deposit that, borrow again, and they'll just lever up, you know, I guess whatever the max is, maybe it's 3x, 4x, 5x. It depends on the token. Um, so that's one way they can, they can leverage during a, a bull market or, you know, I guess, get wrecked if they wanted to. If they feel, <laughs> it, 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 actually, if they don't want to, yeah. they, the, the market mm -hmm. will move the other way and they just think it's... Uh, Hosed. Um, so that's that, to me. Uh, you know, I, actually, I just I spoke to a group of um, a, a central bank roundtable about six, seven weeks ago, and uh, they were they were actually actively looking at ways. What what does what could DeFi do for you know the general market ecosystem? And so they asked me, you know, how would you answer that question? I, I don't think there's a really good answer right mm -hmm. now beyond um, showing how synthetics can work uh, in a in a fairly transparent way as a whole. Again, I wasn't sitting there trying to shill a specific synthetic project but it's kind of the holy grail of the this uh if, if you look at the who's getting funding right now and um the teams are getting funding uh, it, i would actually um recommend people looking at who cms holdings itself is funding because they're the probably the smartest group of investors right now that are low profile they're not like the i mean they do have fun on social media but they're not sitting there browbeating everybody saying hey you're a bunch of idiot losers they're basically saying hey here's Here's who we, we think are uh, who are heading in, in, a, in a direction which um, which the the market needs utility from, or who's creating the utility, I should say. And um, I would say if you, if you look at the portfolio the last three months in particular, uh, it's largely uh, different types of synthetics uh, derivatives. Um, and again, not endorsing their portfolio itself. I'm just trying to give you an example of of, of, a, of a company or of a, of a fund that has skin in the game. Um, and is trying to uh, genuinely trying to uh, fund uh, real operators who are trying to create utility for the market. Yeah, you know, it's, this is such an interesting area in the space, like the whole um, being able to take like collateralized loans or just a different way of doing crypto loans and then coupling that with DeFi. Like I, I see that going in like a really good direction given how much interest and money is pouring into that space so early. Um, and you guys are you guys are leveraging decentralized finance as well, trying to do something similar, correct? More or less, or no? Uh, short answer is no. Uh, long answer is that we could. So the, the, when I published this little short paper, it's not even like if you people made a joke saying this is the shortest paper you've yeah. ever written, Tim, because I've I've written quite a, quite a few and usually long with lots of footnotes. So this one has zero footnotes, by the way. Um, it was Why is it so short? Because uh, I just wanted to put the idea out there and try to get it implemented. So again. The, uh, mm -hmm. Not to compare it with Ethereum, but if, 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 if we look at a high level, Ethereum published a white paper and then a yellow paper. The white paper had the aspirational of what, what we'd like to do. The yellow paper was the actual, like, this is the spec that we want people to build implementations of. And so for me, I was looking at uh, trying to find operators who, are, who could implement this quickly. Um, and I, I'm not trying to build, like, Tau Protocol, like, if you go to the website, it's, it's just 
this this paper and I have a few friends that I've been uh, collaborating with uh, for advice. Um, we could eventually build out a whole team and, and, and do that whole uh, song and dance, which is very possible. I'm not opposed to it, but um, I wanted mm-hmm. to see how this could be implemented and put into to, uh, a live live environment. Um, so I, as soon as I finished writing, actually, even before I finished writing this little, this little paper, I, I was Googling who's, who's done some type of backend, this, this, uh, the heavy lifting of, of, of tokenizing um, Bitcoin hash rate in this case, uh, because again, instead of, we, we already know who tokenizes Bitcoin, that, that's a set of known parties. Um, so for me, I found a set of uh, mining farms and mining pools that already did that and it already launched something. So I reached out to, uh, in this case, it's BTCST. Um, they were the first to, to do this. And uh, it turns out that they were already looking at, uh, at trying to explore ways of creating synthetic assets. So it's kind of a good coincidental timing. Um, I uh, started uh, doing some effectively uh, advisory work for them uh, a couple months ago on, on trying to get an implementation of. So just to let you know, like their implementation is independent of things I do at Tau. Um, I, you know, obviously support them because I want them to, to succeed, but they don't have a monopoly on the idea. Other, others can, others who created tokenized hash rate or hash rate tokens, which is, a, there's a few others, um, they, they can do it too, if they wanted to. So uh, I say that all because if you're listening and you want to try something out, go for it. I'm not, I, in fact, I would love to hear your guys' feedback, um, for version two, um, <clears throat> which is something that, uh, some of my friends and I have, have been batting around for what, what comes next. So just to let you know, mm-hmm. the, the Tau protocol idea um, first implemented, I guess it was about two and a half weeks ago. It was like right, right, right when I got COVID, um, it went live. <laughs> and uh, right now mm-hmm. um, they're going That's to early. A, a rebase. Yeah, no, so it's, it's, yeah, it's fairly, fairly young um, implementation. Um, and again, it's, it's mm-hmm. their baby in the sense that they, they did all the coding work. I sat there and you know, got on calls with them and told them how I think sh- things should shape up and stuff like that. But um, yeah, they've had a, a bit of, if you measure uh, growth um, through TVL, I think as of <coughs> right before this call, um, the podcast I was looking at the numbers and it was about 400 million um, has been locked up now in, in, in their implementation. So that was you know, from zero to 400 million. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. Well, again, I, I, I wish them good luck because uh, uh, it's, you know, something that's supposed to last for as long as you can. It's, a, it's supposed to be you know, roughly the equivalent sure. to a Bitcoin, right? Um, so it's a synthetic Bitcoin. Um, they have a rebase. I think it's once a day. Um, that's what the goal is. I think they just did some kind of community vote to, to enable that. Um, so, but they have, a, they have a few other ideas that they're going to try and spin off of, of that initial set of, of conversations I had with them um, last month. And um, I think that, yeah, some of them overlap with a few of the goals I have with the Tau Protocol idea for, I guess, version two or version three. Um, one of them is actually a, um, is a, uh, is a SDR, is a Tau SDR. So you know, I, I gave you a whole mm-hmm. little soapbox talk about not using USD as a term um, to, to, to peg to because of the BSA um, BSA red flags. Um, so again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a regulator. I talked to plenty of those in my life um, to know enough that mm-hmm. you don't want to be wrapped into the BSA world if you don't have to. Um, so an SDR for those listeners, oh, by the way, if you're listening, you're not familiar with BSA, it's Bank Secrecy Act. It's what um, the in the US, it's the framework that um, all, as you can say, banks are required to comply with, uh, with respect to their yep. customers. Um, and, AML, KYC. Uh, yeah, exactly. That kind of sanctions. Um, so the, um, the, 
SDR is a special deposit drawing right. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a framework, effectively, that um, the IMF has used for a few decades. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it, it exists, but nobody, you don't go to 7-Eleven and buy something with an SDR. Uh, but it's it's effectively a uh, it's a basket of, of weighted uh, currencies um, that equal mm-hmm. in a given day. It's like, loaned out to other countries to help create liquidity in a crisis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah, the high level. Yeah, there's that. But I'm, I'm saying from from a unit of account, the idea here is is to create. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like five different currencies bundled together to create an actual. Uh, stable stable token um so that idea has been around for decades um there's been several um software implementations some sta- stable coin versions of it or algo stable coins i think benchmark actually is one of them um so for me that's that's kind of what i would uh like to kind of pursue potentially next again i'm, I'm not in charge of some gigantic army of developers or anything like that and so if, if any listeners are interested in, in collaborating with that happy happy to talk to them but um the idea here is is how, how can you create a, a stable unit of account um, backed by a set of, of, of tokens? Um, and there's different ways you could implement this. I, I have a, a few that I'd like, I've narrowed it down to. I don't want to give it away, but um, you know, Benchmark, again, I believe has actually launched um, yeah. once their implementation. And there's a few other ways of doing it. So um, yeah, I, I get a lot of questions about, hey, Tim, what are you going to do next besides make a synthetic Dogecoin or something like that? I, mean, I, I could do that probably too, or like I could find someone to do that, I should say. I don't have a, a team of engineers myself. Maybe you can actually make a synthetic Dogecoin and then back it with like real world memes or something like that. Then maybe <laughs> you'd have a little bit more value. <laughs> it, 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 actually, you, you bring up a really interesting point. What What is one Dogecoin worth or what is one Bitcoin worth? And not, not to go too tangential, but mm-hmm. consider this. So I, I wrote an article about seven years ago, a couple of different articles. One was about um, the coming uh, existential crisis for Dogecoin, which was happening is, is, is in, in early 2014. Uh, the developers noticed that um, because of how fast Dogecoin was um the, the security was disappearing. So security in this case was hash rate. So every every week or something like that, their their um, have the, the rewards were um, were declining by fifty percent. Um, so it was like, it wasn't quite one every week. It was like once every six weeks or something like that. But the idea here is you could actually see visually very quickly how how fast miners were going supporting other coins. And um, so I wrote an article. It was the very beginning of the summer of 2014. It was like, well, here's 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 some possible solutions. And one of them was merge mine, which is basically a latch yourself your your token to um, another coin based on the same proof of work. Uh, in this case, Script, which is what Litecoin uses. So remember, Dogecoin um, is a it's ultimately a fork of Litecoin. Although, it, it, in, if you look at the actual progeny, was I think Lucky Coin was the actual fork it, it used. But anyways, <clears throat> putting the, all that aside. At the end of the summer, they actually did merge mine with Litecoin. So today, it's funny, right this moment, um, the market cap of Dogecoin is actually higher than Litecoin, which is actually providing the fundamental infrastructure, the mining infrastructure, uh, to protect it, to create security for it. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. and, and so that, that ties in with another article I wrote that same year um, on uh, how, there's too many Bitcoins for, for what people say that are Bitcoins. So what I mean by that is... You see this happening uh, definitely pre-COVID when people went to conferences and talks face-to-face, but 
um, in 2014 in particular, um, you would go to these events because I lived in the Bay Area, go to, you know, lots of these little, you know, venture back party kind of things. You you'd go to parties because that's that's what all these startups would do. And you you talk to people who would brag about the you know, coin portfolio portfolios even then, like, oh, I own X amount of Bitcoins. And you just you just mm-hmm. listen to people talk and then you, you hear people on podcasts and you go to events and you're like, there's no way all these people that claim to have Bitcoins have these Bitcoins. Um and so that basically too many claims on, on, on a fixed amount of Bitcoin. So this all ties together um, with this idea of collateralized Bitcoin. So today we know that there's about eight, 18.7, 18.8 million mined Bitcoins. Um, who has those and where are those distributed? Well, you could do some simple estimates. You could use analytics. You could do a variety of different methods to get a pretty good idea of um, where where those coins are, are sitting, what intermediaries, which exchanges, and so forth. Um, and yet uh, today, you still have a discrepancy on pricing. Of we, we talked about it earlier, what what is one WBTC worth uh, versus what is one BTC worth versus one Arbitrum Bit, Bitcoin? So fundamentally, they're all supposed to be backed by mm-hmm. one one to one by Bitcoin. Um, but we know even even today, mining wise. Uh, the largest mining pools are maybe 20%, 25% in a given day. Uh, so you have Bitcoins backed by 20%, 25% of the network hash rate. People still trade it at par as if it was 100% or 1%. Like the question is, is it's, it's philosophical, is um, how much um, hash rate or how much collateralization needs to go to back each of these t- coins, whether it's a Bitcoin or a Dogecoin. Um, it, the market is continually trying to argue about what, what that price is. I say the market as a whole, because you, you see this with, um, I hate calling it the kimchi premium because it's, I, I think it's a, a vulgar term, but um, the the premium at mm-hmm. Korean exchanges versus uh, non-Korean exchanges is is almost steadily at one to 2% higher. Uh, it, it, it fluctuates depending on people basically getting off of airplanes and, and buying with cash. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but there's a whole story about um, Sam from FTX doing yeah. something like that a few years ago. Uh, so, but my, my point with all this is, is, um, and we have a whole conversation. We have a whole set of, uh, of guests talking about what is, is the market mispricing a specific coin in a specific jurisdiction, and are all these coins that are supposedly being traded at the exchanges um, that are listed on CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap are those fully backed one for one? And the answer to that is no. Absolutely, we know that for a fact. Um, Various uh, law enforcement raids, uh, various you know, lawsuits. We find out the a lot of these exchanges are operating in a, in a fractional reserve manner that's not disclosed to the public. Um, in 2017, um, virtually every exchange on the mainland China was shut down and, and raided, um, or raided first and then shut down, uh, because they <laughs> they found out that in the case of uh, OKCoin and Huobi and BTC China and, and, and uh, several others. They were basically taking customer deposits and reinvesting without disclosing to customers uh, into effectively the stock market or other other types of uh, financial intermediaries um, and to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. And so there was a variety of articles in 2017 about this, and it's still going on today. In fact, we just saw uh, two years ago when Quadriga was shut down in Canada, um, the main uh, operators, Cotton, uh, and I forgot what the other guy's name is. They were basically taking customer deposits and trading it on other Canadian exchanges and other exchanges in general. So that same problem happens today. Um, even though you have activity on chain, uh, I use finger quotes there, a, a lot of the activity, uh, especially trading activity, takes place off chain. 
And so if we're looking at proof of reserves or some kind of auditing, um, it's just, it's very immature that way. Um, there's almost, it's horrible self-policing. Like there's, this, <laughs> there's, there is, uh, no badge. Of, like, ever, you just have to assume almost all these exchanges are, 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 I'm not saying, I'm not accusing anyone specifically at this stage uh, of, of being, um, uh, operating in an illicit manner, but we, there's simply more Bitcoins that are being traded than there are fundamentally Bitcoins backing them. So again, this is not an excuse to make something under collateralized. It's, it's, it's a, the idea here is, is to be as transparent as possible. And um, again, <clears throat> in, uh, in the case of something like uh, hash rate tokens, um, it's really hard to counterfeit hash rate. So again, not endorsing all these different projects that are doing hash rate tokens. There's probably like six or seven at this stage. But uh, my, my point is, is uh, mm-hmm. if, we, if, we, if we're looking at comparing things that are collateralized versus under collateralized, I think it's also worth pointing out that um, it, it's really hard to for the common non, um, non-regulator to go through and, and, and look at the books to see who actually, mm-hmm. which exchanges and intermediaries actually are backing uh, what they say they're backing. Yeah. Hash rates do fluctuate quite a bit though. And just like yesterday, there's a huge uh, drop in the hash rate for Bitcoin too. And that got, was just one of a million things that kind of went wrong in one day. Um, but like, do you think if, you know, if a hash rate, you know, is it fluctuates that much, like it's like a young project and it's going up a lot or it has, it's prone to these um, big dips that can come out of nowhere that that affects, um, you know, the, the lending and stuff like that, or is it not really, um, or is it negligible? Uh, yeah, yeah, in a, in a long run, maybe, maybe it is uh, a big deal or some kind of non-marginal, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, effect. But yeah, in the short run, I don't think it does. In fact, if you look at, um, it, it, Bitcoin itself or, or coins that use something similar with, uh, similar proof of work, uh, mechanisms, uh, has something called an inhomogeneous plus on process. Um, there's a, there's a really good website called hashingit.com, uh, run by Dave Hudson. Um, he mm-hmm. stopped writing, uh, number of years ago, but in 2014, 2015, it was really the go-to website, um, on mining and variance. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, the, the fundamental principles haven't changed in six, seven, eight years, um, from when he's first started writing. Um, so yeah, the, the, in a given day, you could have, you could see, you know, wide, wide variance, um, the difficulty or the, the amount of work done to generate, um, a, uh, a token, as it were. So again, not to go to too nitty gritty. In fact, if, if you want, there's a there's a guy named Larry Cermak over at the block mm-hmm. who who actually just wrote on that very topic you were talking about um, about the Xinjiang miners. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the, not not to get too too nitty gritty, but the uh, miners in a, in a given day, uh, mining farms submit um, work to the mining pools, who then effectively. Try to you know effectively bundle that uh, together uh, and, and submit it to the network as a uh, as the proof of work, you know, meeting the certain conditions, the difficulty um, to to win that little coin every ten minutes. So and again, uh, each proof of work network mm-hmm. is slightly different. You know, Litecoin's two and a half minutes, but yeah, fundamentally the process is the same um, in, in the sense that you're you're bundling um, uh, a, <laughs> a a bunch of work together. Um, with with the hope that um, your the the work that you're submitting um, there's something called PPS uh, you get paid per share um, which has been around yeah. for I guess a decade um, and you don't have you don't have miners that are being turned off and on every single day that that I mean you do have the freak accidents or in this case it sounds like some power plants that, that were shut down 
But uh, you don't, you know, when, when you look at a, um, if you go to Bitcoin.com or Blockchain.com or, or some of these sites that, that have some of the analytics that are public, uh, and you look at the, uh, the hash rate metric going up and down, um, you, you see some wild swings in there. And those wild swings aren't typically uh, somebody sitting at the farm itself, turning off every single one and turning on. Now, you do have stuff like that happen, but in aggregate, mm-hmm. you don't have that as big a deal. Because anytime a machine is down or idle, is, is one less moment that you could be generating potential revenue. So that's why you see those funny pictures of people running with, you know, in, in the case of a GPU farm, like for Monero or something like that, they, they literally have it in a milk crate. Like they, they, in, anything mm-hmm. that's not hashing is, is dead weight. Uh, and it's, it's not economic, uh, economical to, to even have it powered on. So yeah, we can have a whole conversation about mining. Love, love talking about that, that, that the industry, even though I have a, a very dim view of it. Yeah, I used to be one of those people that had a mining farm year a couple of years ago. Like I, I was really into it. Like right at the tail end of it, before it was, you know, kind of became really hard to make it profitable. But like I, I used to run like hundreds of those things. I, I could talk about mining and hash rates all day long. It, it was so interesting. It's like the one thing that really helped pull me into this um, this market even more. It's it's a lot of fun. I want to go back to something though, because you mentioned your day job is with Clearmatics, right? That's correct. Yes. So you got and you do market analysis and whatnot. So I'm sure you've done um, analysis on you know the crypto market as of late and whatnot. So I kind of want your opinion and your thought on like you know where are things at, like what's going on, because it's like we all know that the market's got to take this leg up at some point. There's so many positives, so many good things going on. Um, it's like, it feels like every other day, there's like some more positive news or this company has Bitcoin on their balance sheet, or there's another ETF going through or, um, ripple ripples going to dodge the sec. And then all of a sudden, you know, it starts going up and then it comes back down and it just feels like we're in this really tight, um, like funnel of some kind. So I was just kind of curious if you've like really looked into it or if you have an opinion on where it's going, cause it's an interesting time. Yeah, uh, sentiment analysis. Uh, I remember back in uh, 2014, a good friend of mine, um, he was saying, Tim, if, if you do anything else with uh, the analytics, that's fine um, when you're looking at on-chain activity. But at the end of the day, um, it doesn't matter what what is really happening on-chain versus um, what retail it, – it, again, this is 2014 – what retail uh, – uh, was thinking so he 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 always used a, a way of uh, for for his daily trading he would do some he would hire uh, some of these um, large market research firms to do Twitter <coughs> sentiment analysis and they would also scrape Reddit and he claims to have done quite well and he's retired at this moment at least from everything that he, he's told me uh, consistently over the last number of years um, and so I would I would say that again you know, my my day job is 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 involved in market research and, and analytics, but not not related to price action. I mean, I, I do see prices as incidentally on social media and things like that, but that's not what I what I typically look at. And um, mm-hmm. it's actually uh, <clears throat> we've we've seen um, as you mentioned, large corporates and large institutions come in and, and buy the coins. Although it, it, it's it's not for any particular purpose besides the fact that they think that the coins can go up in value, which is it's basically a Keynesian beauty contest. So. Again, if you're if you're looking for someone to sit here and you know say bye bye bye, I'm certainly not that guy to to do that. Even though clearly um, over the last or as long as I've been writing about these things, uh, it would have been bet from a financial perspective, it'd been great to just sit there and buy a bunch of coins or tell people to buy a bunch of coins and it, it'll all go up in value and they become you know retired and, and, and very rich. But <clears throat> I guess uh, mm-hmm. to me, um, if we could be intellectually honest, 
fundamentally, like it's not going up because of massive transactional utility. Um, it's, it's going up because somebody else is buying it because they think it's going to go up in value. Like it's, it's truly a Keynesian beauty contest. Uh, and that hasn't really changed in as, for as long as I've been, been writing about this. So it, will that continue? Um, I suppose so. Like uh, I, I, uh, I've always been of the view that regulators could have come in and, and squashed uh, liquidity venues um, like they should have because they should, have been, in my view, treating treating these types of intermediaries as actual mm-hmm. like banks. But um, I'm of the minority opinion and I lost out on the war with uh, the lobbyists. It looks like, so I, um, unless, unless you had a <laughs> coordinated action from the G20 mm-hmm. and, and all their little departments, um, I just, yeah, I don't see why the momentum would, would shift anytime um, in the next couple, couple of months. I say that with, <laughs> with the caveat that the FATF will yeah. have um, their recommendations in, in June. So maybe, maybe that does do something, but yeah, I'm not going to come on your show and, and, and be a, be a, uh, a wet rag on on, yeah. on, on the mood for sure. Do, do you think there's anything in particular, like maybe um, a black swan type event that could be out there that could really change momentum, like regulations coming out of nowhere or like a, um, a federal lawsuit or something like that, that could actually shift the momentum? Or do you think that there's not a whole lot that's going to change it in the short term? Because it just feels like there's so much going for it right now. Yeah, no, it's a good question, and obviously, the way black swans work is you can't predict them. That's that's why they're black, right? Um, so, exactly. but if we look at if we look at known challenges or known issues, the easiest way of looking at what those could be um, are the ETFs that have uh, been applied for. I think there's seven or nine or ten in the U.S. that various organizations have have pitched, and each one of those has a list of you know here here are problems we we foresee as being you know existential. Um, and you have the typical like oh, Satoshi comes out of nowhere and such as sells coins or there seems to be some kind of unknown existential bug that causes uh, the implementations of Bitcoin or Ethereum or something like that to all go down in unison. So you have you have those typical ones that people talk about at cocktail parties. Um, I have of the view that, again, um, regulators have as a whole been defunded and um, basically ignored or in the case of uh, in the U.S., you have a huge amount of of. Uh, it's called a revolving door. So you have um, basically people from industry go back into uh, go into a regulator and then come out. So I guess uh, the most recent example would be uh, Brian Brooks. He was a chief legal officer over at Coinbase who uh, co-created the uh, USDC, um, and he ended up working at uh, as the OCC chairman. He couldn't get he couldn't get confirmed. He actually. It's a, I'm sure he'd like to sit here and defend himself, but look, he got he got appointed for seven months, couldn't get confirmed by this, his own party, um, and ended up having to push through interpretive letters to get um, it, these these stable coins from you know, being uh, allowing stable coins to be used and in, in, in custody at actual legal large banks, and um, so if you have regulators like the OCC that are effectively um, co-opted by industry um, for better and for worse. Uh, what does that mean for, you know, the, the scenarios you provided? So like, I just, unless you had coordinated like super strict enforcement by all the world's major regulatory bodies from a financial perspective, um, I, that's, that's the only way I, I see, you know, the party ending um, if, from, from what you were saying. So again, that's my own speculation. I'm not here to sit and throw shade mm-hmm. at everybody, but it, most, most of these regulators are just so busy mm-hmm. um, dealing with regular white collar crime to introduce um, 
you know, what's taking place in DeFi or, or, or regular, you know, centralized exchanges, you know, you have $2 trillion of quote unquote value that's sitting there um, <clears throat> moving around um, in, in being egged on by underregulated or underspailed operators. Um, may, maybe somebody you know, gets in on the action, but I, I just don't see it happening. And I hear, heard rumors for seven years of major enforcement actions and it just never happens. So uh, maybe that changes. I just, I just don't think they have the budgets to, or, or the staff to do it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think the cat's out of the bag at this point. We've kind of hit the point of no return where I don't think there's anything they can legitimately do to stop Bitcoin at the very least um, or really, really stifle crypto. Um, it's it's just gotten so much momentum. There's so much money in the space, so much influence behind it. Um, so many micro markets, like multi-billion dollar micro markets created out of this market as well too. Everything from you know what we're talking about with crypto loans and DeFi to you know, staking to the NFT market and to how that's all going to shape out. Just so, yeah, I I don't think much is going to change. I think it's all here to stay. Yeah, if, if listeners are looking for, I guess you could say the adult regulator, or at least the one I would consider the adult in the room, it's the Bank of England. Uh, back mm-hmm. in. In January, where the OCC was pushing out these like closed door interpretive letters, um, the Bank of England was asking for public comments on on papers that had real research. Uh, in this case, uh, their paper on stablecoins uh, talked about uh, settlement finality and uh, <laughs> different types of, uh, of of networks. They've made real nuances. Um, so, if, if, if listeners are looking for regulators who are who are doing real homework and have uh, been asking and talking things about it's soliciting comments publicly. Uh, they then only published something in January, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in, in, in previous months. But uh, just um, this morning, they uh, published uh, an announcement that they are um, accepting applications for uh, what's effectively is central bank digital currency um, access, mm-hmm. or in this case, digital accounts. Um, and there are several several participants out there who've already applied for uh access to this. So we can have a whole conversation about CBDCs and why I think that is actually uh, something that from a societal standpoint is actually very helpful because uh, you no longer are reliant on having to use commercial banks. But again, whole nother conversation about you know the good and the bad and, and the ugly of, mm-hmm. of these different types of institutions. Uh, but yeah, fundamentally, um, if, if, if listeners are, are trying to do some homework on this and quote, quote, do your own research, I would look into uh, the public um, documents that the Bank of England has been publishing the last at least year, if not longer. Yeah, that the whole CBD thing is another is a really good uh, topic. Um, so I got one more question, and then uh, we can kind of wrap it up because we've kind of gone through a lot. But on on the topic of CBDCs um, in the U.S., do you think that the U.S. will have a digital national digital currency anytime soon? And do you think it would be built on, um, you know, potentially a public blockchain? It's already out there that's popular. Do you think that they would go with something like in-house or that's more private? Or do you have a thought on that? Sure. So I've had a, the fortunate opportunity of talking to uh, several different district. Uh, I mean, there's a dozen different district banks to, from the Federal Reserve here in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. I've had an opportunity talking to about half of them, um, and then several of their committees um, in the past, I guess, six years, and they um, they obviously have their own. Uh, initiatives and desires and motivations and run by actual human beings. <laughs> so, uh, so mm-hmm. that's, that's an answer to say that, you know, one district bank may um, be very bullish or uh, 
maybe uh, put resources behind um, research to create something like a central bank digital currency or a central bank digital account. Um, so, for example, uh, Boston's Fed, uh, the Federal Reserve of Boston, has made quite a <clears throat> quite a bit of, uh, of ink has been spilled by them, as it were, uh, has been written by them uh, in, in parties around them. Um, pushing uh, for extended research, and then there's several other district banks who, who or several other banks of, uh, within the Federal Reserve that aren't, aren't as active or aren't as interested, in, and that's fine. I'm, 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 I actually don't think that there is a immediate um, need to 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 create a digital currency. I'm more of an advocate of the digital account um, mm-hmm. uh, proposal, um, and something like FedNow, um, or uh, there's there different types of um, non-blockchain related or non-cryptocurrency related uh, proposals that allow uh, regular retail users to have access to effectively the Federal Reserve, um, or at least to the, <laughs> having an account there. Um, so that's a long answer to your question about will will it happen in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. I suppose it probably will be enough uh, push from the different um, presidents of the different central banks or different research teams uh, from the different districts, as I say. Um, here in the U.S. to to push that, but what it looks like, I think, will be different than uh, what maybe is being lobbied by some of these um, some of those who have a vested interest to get it on their own chain. Um, I'm not a huge fan of of, of any of any um, real assets on of a proof of work chain because of uh, lack of settlement finality um, guarantees. Um, but uh, we've mm-hmm. seen. Quite a few of these "quote unquote" battle-tested proof-of-stake networks. So maybe maybe they're more comfortable putting it on there. It, it, you don't need an actual blockchain though to do any of this whatsoever. Like full stop. Like in the in the years I've been involved with uh, both Climatics and R three and in conversations with different central banks and, and, and different intermediaries involved with um, clearing clearing payments, we don't need a blockchain for any of this. Um, it, it may be interesting from a resiliency standpoint um, and in a few other areas of, of utility, but uh, you don't need a or maybe society doesn't even want something like a cryptocurrency uh, backing its uh, CBDC or CBDA. So a um, whole other conversation. Obviously, it's very interesting. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd definitely mm-hmm. be uh, be on the let's let's do it later rather than sooner. Just because we're not we're not trying. To, there's no there's no advantage of, of chasing um, every every right. every country that might be announcing this. I, I don't see the advantage of, of just shipping out just because of somebody else is doing it. Yeah, I, well, I think it's going to happen at some point. I guess the question is just when. So I guess we'll all find out whenever that happens. But I think this is probably a good place to wrap it up. Uh, so, Tim, thanks for you know coming on the podcast. And uh, it was a really fun conversation. We dove into a lot of topics. It's definitely something I'm going to enjoy um, uh, editing and going back through. Yeah, thanks again for coming on and taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Brandon. Really appreciate it.